Hi, my name's Hudson and I'm a geoholic. Hello, geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. On May 2nd, the Resilient Navigation and Timing Foundation posted an article pertaining to the Russian GLONASS positioning system. Apparently, since the invasion of Ukraine, the laser-ranging data essential to the operation of the global system has, quote-unquote, dried up. According to the report, the volunteers that supply the laser-ranging data to the international community, aka the International Laser Ranging Service, or ILRS, have largely stopped sending the measurements since the events in Ukraine. Without these extremely precise orbital measurements, the long-term accuracy of the GLONASS service is called into question. The laser ranging is used to calculate the absolute satellite trajectory essential for supplying engineering-grade positioning services. While the loss of laser ranging data does not completely stop the GLONASS service, it does undermine its accuracy over time, said Professor Kuharski from the University of Texas Odin Institute for Computational Engineering and Sciences. As mentioned previously on the Geoholics POV segments, if you use GNSS receivers with GLONASS, it's probably a good thing to track these critical updates. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends. Hello, Geoholics. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to this being episode 127. Our guest this week basically gave me carte blanche on the music as, this is funny. I love engineers. Don't get me wrong, but this is going to be a great story. You guys are going to appreciate this. It's going to loop you into this conversation too. By you, Sean Favor. And <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. sure you said Just wait love a second. engineers. I do love engineers. Okay, so get okay. this. So we asked all our guests for their favorite band, right? So here is how our guest this evening answered this question. Okay. He says, I quote, I've been listening to adult alternative music, cutting edge bands, as well as the singers, songwriters who span both the electric and acoustic worlds of rock and beyond. That covers a wide range of music. So, of course, I picked our good friends, the Black Moods this evening, which is going to work out just fine. And I feel they check all those boxes. But the funniest thing is our other engineer joining us this evening, Mr. Sean Faber. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Uh, co-host and, of course, guest on a previous Geoholics episode, just like five episodes ago, I think. I liked it so much, I had to come back. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like, you were our first PE. I do feel honored of that. And now right. we have our second this evening, so we're glad you're able to join Still us. questioning why that was, 123 was the first one. I know. But here's your answer to the same question. Who's your favorite band? I am currently in a folk Americana stage in my music journey, but I have loved just about every genre of music. What is it? Why can't you freaking engineers answer a question? I think we did answer a question. No, everything is, everything is, you have to complicate everything. 99.35% of our guests answer that question with a band, a specific band, and sometimes even a song. 
you guys have to just like go off in this tangent and overanalyze it and all this stuff. I think it's just because we know what a tangent is. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. So our crew this evening, of course, is uh, Sean Faber, as I just mentioned. Thanks for being here. And uh, Conor O'Gorman. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, living life. Living life. Just laughing at, uh, I know he made a drawn out uh, answer on that question because that's just Sean. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I tend to poke the bear a little bit, and if no. I know you're looking for an, a quick and easy answer, and yes. I'd like to provide the Purposefully, answer. you did that. Yes. Yes, I understand. Uh, how about those Suns, boys? Uh, I was at the game last night. It was phenomenal. Great atmosphere. Energy was better than game one. Yeah. It was, I mean, off the charts. Yeah. Well, Bo- Bullock, no, no, Bullock or Bullocky or something like that, whatever his name is, A.A. Ron. A.A. Uh, Ron. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that Key and Peele spiel. But uh, no, he, he his name's changed, but he came out and like said, uh, you know, the Mavs fans are way better than the Suns fans. And, mm. and I guess they put the quote on the big board. Is that wow. true? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, you know really? what I'm yes, yes. That is awesome. You don't want to do stuff like that this time of year. Well, it was, it was really in that fourth quarter that turned everything and we went from I swear we it, we were up four and I blinked and we were up 20 and I just remember screaming the whole time so yeah. well D-Book's D-Book's girlfriend was in the house so I knew he came out in halftime to play yeah I mean no he, doubt. Had, he had an audience myself and and Miss Jenner so obviously he had to impress which was yeah. close by right couple couple, couple doors down mm. nice mm. nice I hear she's a very nice person I, you know, we didn't, didn't spend a lot of time <laughs> with our pleasantries, but uh, that's why I hear the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on. Connor, tell us about that opening number. Yeah, like you said, it's from the Black Moods. Uh, Saturday night, born in Arizona desert and uh, reared on the stage across North America, the Black Moods deliver a modern update of timeless sound, uh, breathing fresh life into the familiar mix of electron- electric guitars, anthem hooks, and uh, persuasive stomp. Uh, the Black Moods three members is frontman guitarist Josh Kennedy. He's the, he's the guy. We, we saw him in Vegas. Um, drummer Chico Diaz and bassist uh, Jordan Hoffman aren't looking to reinvent the wheel. Uh, instead, they are piling into the vehicle that's existed for decades, souping up the engine to suit their complimentary needs and steering those wheels towards their own rock and roll horizon. What is this descriptive of music, man? <laughs> I, think that, I think that's perfect for our guest's response <laughs> to Kent's question. It was right off the, uh, it's right off Spotify, buddy. You know, th- uh, this is just another example. You should practice at least one time prior to doing your reads. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not going to critique that too bad. But anyways, great video to that song, Saturday Night. It's their latest re- release. It came out two, about three weeks ago, I believe. Um, they have agreed to be guests on the Geoholics. We just need to figure it out with their tour schedule and stuff like that. Uh, the cool thing about that is they're not going to come here. We'll have to go to their studio and record, which is just down the street from here, which will be really, really cool. So check them out if you've never heard of them. Also, their website, theblackmoods.com, for tour, di- tour dates and uh, all that other good stuff. Cool people, too. Really cool, guys. Super humble. All right. We're in the Diamondback Lancer Bank studio, and uh, coincidentally, we will be seeing Trent Keenan here in a couple weeks as he and his band of merry golfing buddies will converge on the Valley for a three-day-long tournament. Apparently, they do this like three times a year. They go to a different city, and him and like 20 of his buddies have like a, have an actual tournament where there's money and blah, blah, blah. Three but, days. Yeah. They're, they're, they're doing Friday, Saturday and Sunday, uh-huh. but the geoholics, Sean included, uh, will be playing on Friday. 
which I am certain will result in some stories, which we will decide whether or not we'll share on a future show. Absolutely. Fair enough. Look forward to it. Looking forward to it. All right. Shout out to this week's featured friend of the program being Trimble Geospatial. Mr. Faber, tell us about Trimble Geospatial. Yes. Trimble Geospatial provides solutions that will allow you to make your make your mark using high-quality, productive workflows and information exchange, driving value for a global and diverse customer base of surveyors, engineers, GIS service companies, governments, utilities, and transportation authorities. Trimble's innovative technologies include integrated sensors, field applications, real-time communications, and office software for processing, modeling, and data analytics. Trimble is pioneering the future of data intelligence, converging people, product, and place seamlessly to help you make your mark and leave your legacy. This is known as the Trimble Geospatial Advantage. Find out more at www.geospatial.trimble.com. You just embarrassed the hell out of Connor. Tried. Oh, he's get, he gets he has a four year old daughter at home that he gets to practice. You know, <laughs> yes, that's how, I, that's how I spend my quality time with my now five year old. Five, sorry, my bad. I, I read I read this cover and she says how terrible I am at reading. <laughs> that would not be good. All right, well, Connor, you're getting you're getting a chance. You're getting a chance. Redemption to redeem. is coming. Here's your chance to redeem yourself. This week's Liquid Death's weekly words of wisdom. What did you come up with this week, Connor? First off, the liquid death, like spring water or mountain water with the, the distilled no no carbonation, most refreshing drink I've ever had. Maybe it was because I had a few ones like the night before, but cracking a cold can open of just water was incredible. So thanks, liquid death, for that. Um, yeah, so I came up with, we can do more than what we think. It's a belief system that I have adopted, and it has become my motto. There is more that meets the eye, and unless you are willing to experience new things, you'll never realize your full potential. What does that mean to you, Connor? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) We can do more than what we think. Um, Is that the Transformers motto as well? It's Wim Hof. Do you guys know who Wim Hof is? Have you heard of this guy? He is the uh, becoming the Iceman. Maybe you've seen him on YouTube or something like that. And he does like these polar plunges. And then he re- like r- has written all this information about the health benefits of oh, yeah, cold yeah. baths and yes, polar plunges yes. and stuff like Super, super interesting guy. I saw him on, uh, on Rogan for the first time. And then one of our earlier guests was a huge fan. That's kind of how I learned a little bit more about him. But, but uh, do some research. No, to answer that question, though, like yeah. the, the, that quote to me means like I, I can accomplish anything that I put my brain to yeah. in a sense and like I, nothing's too big for me to learn uh, yeah. except for probably rocket science and maybe some like heart procedures that I need to go to school for but oh, yeah and reading um, but I, other than, I, to True. me I see um, don't be afraid to go outside your comfort zone uh, that's, that's reading or reading on a podcast is definitely something. outside of my comfort zone <laughs> <laughs> all right all right um, all right let's do this let's get our, uh, our guests in here and Expand on this uh, this fun. This evening we have Steve Rinks with us. He is a professional engineer as well as a professional or project management professional. Sorry, he's born in South Bend, Indiana, and grew up in Edwardsburg, Michigan. He attended University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Go, oh Wolverines. Oh. Blue, yep, there you go. Blue, blue or Wolverines. <laughs> says he Good is. Job, yep, says yep. he is a recovering 
serial remodeler homeowner. We'll talk about that more in a second. Also runs an occasional Chicago marathon. He's yet to qualify for the Boston Marathon, which of course is the mother of all marathons. But uh, it sounds like that is an aspiration of his. He is currently the Director of Engineering at American Surveying and Engineering uh, in the Chicagoland area. Career highlights include being part of the construction management team on CTA, which stands for Chicago Transit Authority, Orange Line to Midway Airport, that was a massive project, working on the central area circulator for the city of Chicago, and preparing plans, specs, and estimates for the city of Chicago, IDOT, and Illinois Tollway. Steve, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thanks. Thanks, Kent. Uh, I'd like to go back to Connor's uh, uh, comment there. Uh, you, you guys can Google this. It, uh, the Navy's have a 40% rule. That 40% rule stands for when you think you are done, you are actually only 40% done, meaning you still have 60% in you. So uh, you, you might want to add that one to your list, Connor. I You're like only that. 40% done. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good one. Um, I just jotted that one down. We're going to use that later for sure. Cool. So before we get going on this, we usually uh, ask our guests a, an icebreaker, just kind of kind of set the tone. This one's pretty good. And uh, Steve, you're going to answer this one first. This is a would you rather question. So okay. would, you, would you rather sit through a Star Wars marathon or a Lord of the Rings marathon? Oh, gee, you guys, that, that's a coin toss here because I, I don't follow either one of them. I must be of that lost generation, so to speak. I I, I got to play the fifth or take a fifth on that one uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Let me ask you this one then. Okay. If you had to eat one of the three following sandwiches for the rest of your life and nothing else, what would it be? Sloppy Joe, peanut butter and jelly, or hot dog? Hot dog. It's a sandwich. <laughs> it's a sandwich. <laughs> it's a sandwich. <laughs> oh, we could we could talk about that for for days. But yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I haven't had a good sloppy Joe in a long time, so I'm going to go with the, with the first choice there, Ken. Sloppy All right. Joe. Good enough. Good enough. Yeah, How about cool. you guys? Star Wars. Lord of the Rings marathon. Which one? Uh, I'm actually the same as Steve here. I could, I could take really either one. I, I don't really, I don't really care. Uh, Ooh, yeah. But I would <laughs> vote for the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, just because the options of jelly are seemingly endless. So this is true. The variations could go. Sloppy Joe's can only go a couple ways, and yeah. you know, hot dogs are hot dogs and yep. not really sandwiches. But I'm a huge fan of all three. But I respect that answer. Connor, you are of the younger generation. Star Wars or Lord of the Rings? Uh, yeah, so I'm not a big fan of both of those series either. So amazing. <laughs> I, I, I can't I believe we have four people that don't care about these shows, I, me being one of them. I mean, I've seen most of the Star Wars, but not the greatest fan of it. So, And I've not really seen Lord of the Rings. I could never sit through that as a kid. Yeah. Um, too many words. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, But to the sandwich thing, I, I although a hot dog is not a... A sandwich, I would go with a hot dog just solely on the fact to stir you Chicago people up is that Portillo's is a joke of a hot dog. Oh. And where you got to go in Arizona is called Ted's Hot Dogs. That's it's a Buffalo joint. That's it's New a York. Buffalo joint. They know how to make a they hot dog. They are good, though. They are good, though. I totally agree. My wife being from Buffalo, we end up at Ted's very often. I mean, a good hot dog with some just some ketchup on it is always the best. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Frick, Jesus. No, 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 John, I got to put some uh, fresh chopped uh, raw onions on, on that with the, with the ketchup. That's that's the two condiments that I need on a hot dog. Yeah, see, I'm right totally there. Agree. Right, totally wrong, agree. Wrong You're close. Ketchup. You're yeah. close. Wrong condiment, otherwise right on. Okay, I have seen you? one Star Wars, the very first one, like in the 70s, whatever. It's 
I saw it at the theaters. Never saw another one after that. And I have never seen one Lord of the Rings. And most people I tell that to, they're like, what is wrong with you? But yet we have four people on here tonight that are in the same boat. I mean, I've it's seen so them. It just, I've never you know. seen them. Yeah. Never I can't sink three hours into a movie anymore. Like yeah. Lord of the Rings is like three hours. Yeah, like that. totally agree. Totally <laughs> agree. Uh, uh, the new Batman was just about that long. Oh, good. I will yeah. watch that. Amazing. That was good. Yeah, that was good. Cool. All right, let's talk civil engineering. What do you guys think? Uh, me personally, I think it's a great topic. Oh, let's do that. Let's do that. So, Steve, <laughs> you, my friend, as I mentioned, are a civil engineer. Um, yes, sir. How did that happen? Is this is this the path you thought you'd take originally? Well, I uh, I started as a double E major. I was electrical engineering, and you might ask why electrical. Well, my my dad was a journeyman electrician, so the son should become a electrical right. engineer. Well, I I tried that and didn't get too far in it. Uh, Maybe I helped my dad one too many times and got uh, shocked by a live wire or something there. But anyway, <laughs> I, I wound up in civil engineering. Uh, um, so I really didn't start out on a civil engineering path. But uh, through many trials and tribulations, uh, I uh, got started working in an environmental department in uh, South Bend, Indiana. We did a lot of design, uh, water mains and sewers. Uh, I was able to get out on field inspections of, uh, of projects and then I was in the surveying and wound up in the highway department. So that's really where my background is right now. Hmm. Uh, I would say to the younger engineers, they, they need to seek out uh, opportunities to become a well-rounded engineer. Uh, Steve, can you expand on that? How would you define a well-rounded civil engineer? Well, I uh, just gave some examples of uh, how you should or try to move around within your company. And if you're not able to do that within your company, well, guess what you're gonna to have to do? You're gonna to have to seek uh, alternative uh, employment. Now, I, I mentor younger engineers and what I try to impress upon them is the engineering companies need to have a career path for you. You need to understand that. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of companies that uh, do not understand having a career path, meaning, what is the progression within their company? What I'm noticing now is that because of this technology, uh, engineers are becoming pigeonholed, meaning they're a one trick pony, so to speak. And uh, with the electronics that's out there nowadays, you guys, uh, it's unfortunate that they're not able to, to move around. Yep, I totally agree with that. In fact, when I worked, uh, I worked briefly for the Illinois Department of Transportation as an intern, like while I was in college, and they had a really cool program there. You may, you may very well be aware of it, where if you were a full-time employee there as a young engineer, you would spend like six months working in the various um, disciplines that they had within that office. And at the end of that six-month rotation or whatever, you know, at that point in time, you can make a decision as far as what direction you want to go. So I think that was a really good example of, you know, what, what, what you're alluding to. And as far as being pigeonholed, that's really unfortunate, and I think that happens more times than not. It definitely happens on the survey side way too much, um, and as a result, we're in a really tough spot as a profession. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that sentiment for sure. I think what thanks, Steve's thanks, also yeah. alluding to is the young civil engineers may be in that same tough spot where mm. they don't have the same all the, the, the opportunities that maybe used to be there, and the civil engineering companies are much more specialized now. Mm. And, they do just gotcha. what they do well, and uh, like you said, technology is there where they show up, they push the button, they go yep. home. 
And yeah. before you realize it, it's four or five years and they haven't done anything else but that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Steve, what was your what was your degree in then? Uh, I started out uh, just a Bachelor of Science in Engineering, and then uh, my uh, uh, advisor, college advisor, told me, he says, well, uh, Steve, I don't think you can become a, a registered engineer in the state of Michigan. I said, oh, <laughs> I, I wish you had told me that before. So I had to stick around another year, and then I got my uh, Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering. Okay, gotcha. So, Sean, I mean, you have a, an interesting path. I know you talked about it on your episode, but your degree was in mechanical, mechanical, and you are a geotech engineer, uh, registered civil, registered ci- practice geotech materials testing. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, similar type of. I graduated with my degree. I moved out to Arizona, started working for a civil geotech company and yep. about three years into it realized that eh, i can make a career out of this so yeah. took a test and had to get a couple more years experience to get a a license in civil engineering yeah did you ever feel like you're pigeonholed uh no not really just because in the in our geotech space we had a lot of different project types and experiences so everywhere from foundation engineering to welding inspection so any and basically anything revolving construction and that opportunity showed me everything that goes on in development and construction and there's a lot of different paths to go in but there's got to be a point in in anybody's career when they've been doing something for 10 years whatever <clears throat> in a, in a specific discipline it would be hard to switch disciplines and like in your case you know geotech it'd probably be somewhat challenging for you you've been doing this long enough now at this point somewhat challenging for you to go to work for a pure civil company and do grading and drainage plans and that type thing yeah i'd say it'd be like somewhat of a not necessarily a step back but i would have to revert back into a a, an up-and-coming staff engineer and kind of start from the beginning again so steve with that being said what at what point in someone's career do you think they need to have made the choice of the career path they want to take well, uh, I'm speaking from personal experience now, you guys. Uh, that's primarily what I got to go on. Uh, I was out of school for 10 years before I decided to go back and get my master's. So uh, I try to tell the younger students, uh, get out in the, into the real world, uh, see where your interest lies, and then you can uh, go back and get your master's. Now, the, the professors I talk to, you know, they don't like to hear that at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> because they need a progression, they need people in the masters, they need people in that PhD. So, uh, yeah. Have you had the opportunity to work internationally at all? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, that's something I, I've not shared with you. Uh, I had interviewed with a company in, uh, in uh, Chicago back in the mid eighties, took a couple interviews, but uh, I was finally able to work overseas. I uh, spent two years in Kuwait. Oh, wow. Yeah. What uh, what type of you, what did you work on there? What kind of projects? I was a it was a two year assignment contract. Or actually, it was a contract. Uh, the first year we did a master transportation plan for the entire country. Now, just to understand how big the country is, if you're in the middle of the country, you can drive you can drive one hour north to the Iraq border, you can drive one hour south to the Saudi border. So, get an idea. It's a pretty small country. Uh, the second year, we worked on uh, 20 kilometers of an expressway uh, preliminary engineering plan. Is the culture of work out there a lot different than like the culture here from like an engineering perspective? Or do you apply uh, the same principles? 
it's uh it's not so much engineering it's uh it's the culture of work uh that is uh you and i understand what tomorrow is okay uh over there it's inshallah bukra the translation is uh, god willing tomorrow well you and i understand what tomorrow is you know tomorrow is friday okay mm. well for them at some point in the future it could be tomorrow it could be next week next month so when my wife would go down to a shop and ask for something they would say inshallah bukra well you know what my wife did she came back the next day <laughs> it wasn't there yeah yeah oh, that's funny uh, other than the metric system, which obviously is a change, uh, what other type of engineering practices or even survey is different overseas than in the, in the States? Uh, you know, this this is back in, in the middle 80s. Um, uh, they were, uh, when, you, when you're a rich country, when I say rich, uh, we think the, the dollar is, is almighty, right? But over there, it takes $3.50 to make one uh, KD, Kuwait dinar, <laughs> just to give you an idea of the value of their money. So uh, they were doing things back in the in the mid-80s, you guys. Uh, Sean, you're, well, both, both of you, Kent, you're in the surveying business. I'll give you an example of what they were doing. They were putting all of their parcels electronically, meaning they had all the measurements and everything in a system. And I saw it uh, that if the line wasn't within tolerance, it would flash up red. And they'd have to send the surveyors out there to actually get a hard number, so to speak, on that. It was just amazing to see what they were doing with technologies back in the mid 80s. They were looking to be doing their underground utilities, also mapping that underground. And I can't imagine what, what that country looks like now, mm. uh, technology wise. <clears throat> Yeah, no doubt about it. So that international experience, I mean, that's something that I don't have on my resume, and it's something that I've always, I mean, I still haven't, I guess there could still be an opportunity for to do something internationally, but it's something that I've always wanted to do just to have the experience. How did that change your your life or your career path? Well, I used to have a, uh, a big map in my office of the world, and Chicago is just a little red dot. So I, I would tell the younger engineers, you know, uh, try to expand your circle beyond that red dot, meaning there, there's more to the world than the little circle, the little city uh, that you're in on the, on the map. So uh, when you're in that part of the world, you can travel three, four hours, get into other countries. Uh, we got into Istanbul, we got the Cyprus, uh, we got into Egypt, uh, got into Paris, uh, places that typically you would not uh, consider back here in the States. Hmm. So is it true what they say when you do that kind of work, you get paid really, really well? Oh, that's that's true. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was able to save in one month what I couldn't save in one year back in the States, just, just to put things in perspective. Is that so, because you weren't spending money that you normally would in the States? No. Or is because your, your compensation no, was 12 times no, what it no, would be here? Well, that, that's part of it. Uh, the The... The three-bedroom apartment uh, that was picked up. Okay, the utilities were picked up. They, they even they even uh, supplied a vehicle and even paid for the gas in the vehicle, the maintenance. Um, what else did they? Uh, oh, they gave us a food allowance, which wasn't much, but just the idea is it, it real easy to save money. And 
as such, I was able to, to go back and get my master's. Uh, I took off a year and a half. I went back to school full time. At the time, I had a wife and a six-month-old baby at the time. Oh, well. How much do you think that master's changed the trajectory of your career? Well, it, it allowed me to get into Chicago uh, back uh, in 1988. So uh, I, I saw that as uh, being fortunate to uh, be able to do that. That is a good time to be in Chicago. I was about right? to say that is that is peak sports was, and peak that economy. Was, the, the Bulls, the Bulls were red hot back then, you guys. Yep, no doubt. Um, so you, you've worked on some really cool projects, obviously uh, internationally. The, the the CTA Orange Line that had to be an amazing project to work on. Anything else that comes to mind? That uh, yeah, we uh, we tried to bring. Uh, uh, light rail back into the streets of Chicago. Uh, that was an exciting project. Uh, I was on that from full time from uh, 1992 to 1995. And what's what's nice about these mega projects is that you know what you're going to be doing the next day. Yeah, yeah, mega projects. I like that. I should ask you this uh, probably about 30 minutes ago. Are you a Cubs fan or a Sox fan? Well, I, when I came into Chicago uh, back in '88, I was in Bridgeport. So uh, that should answer your question right there, uh, Kent. Without further ado, is that, what does that mean, Kent? Please, uh, please explain Kent, to us. Kent, Kent, explain that to him, Kent. We're we're not on the same side. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> there. No, enough said, man. If we go any further, we might have to uh, cut the show yes. short. Yes. <laughs> Kent, Kent is only passionate about two things in his life. Well, three: uh, podcast. Uh, curling and the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's mostly true. Um, so when these these mega projects, this brings something to the forefront of my mind. Um, and I know it's something you're passionate about, and that is, you know, project management. Um, you know, being a PMP, I'm sure you have a lot to talk about on this. First of all, let's let's kind of start with the basics. You know, what it in your mind, what is the definition of a project? I mean, what are the, what what makes up a project? Well, I'm I'm, I'm glad you uh, asked me that there, uh, Kent. You you did see my responses uh, to the questions I wanted to talk about. So this is somewhat scripted uh, as I'm reading right now, Kent, because there's a lot of content here. So the the Project Management Institute uh, defines in PMBOK. Now PMBOK stands for the Project Management Book of Knowledge. This is their definition. Project is a temporary endeavor undertaken to create a unique product, service, or result. The temporary nature of projects indicate that a project has a definite beginning and end. Now, this is my words now. Most of us are employed in the AEC industry. That's uh, architectural engineering construction industry that provides a service. The other two are product and result don't apply since we aren't manufacturing widgets. No results, unless you're a testing company. And even then, I would argue that you're providing a service. Now, let's talk about what a temporary endeavor is. This comes from the PMBOK, Project Management Book of Knowledge. The temporary nature of projects indicate that a project has a definite beginning and end. Temporary does not mean a project has a short duration. The end of a project is reached when one or more of the following is true. The project's objectives have been achieved. The objectives will not or cannot be met. Funding is exhausted or no longer available for the allocation to the project. The need for the project no longer exists, meaning 
the customer no longer wants the project completed, a change in strategy or priority ends the project, the organizational management provides direction to end the strategy. Another bullet point, the human nature, the human or physical resources are no longer available or the project is terminated for legal cause or convenience. So projects are temporary, but the deliverables may exist beyond the end of the project. Projects may produce deliverables of a social, economic, material, or environmental nature. For example, the project to build a national monument will create a deliverable expected to last for centuries. So in my words now, a project at its basic level, you guys, is getting things done through people. And I might add that your PM people skills will be put to the test multiple times through your decades long career as a civil engineer. I've attended Dr. Harold Kirshner's uh, lecture and heard him say, being a project manager is not for the faint of heart. Now we can save that topic, Kent, for uh, another future podcast. <laughs> yep, I totally agree with that. What do you think is the most critical step in managing a project and well, to, to ensure that you kind of get off on the right foot. What, what, what do you think the most important thing is? Well, it's, it's not necessarily a thing. It's more of trying to understand uh, each and every project we work on, you guys, has, has six constraints. So, Kevin, we're going to make this somewhat interactive. So you, I'm going to let you start. What, what are the six constraints? I'm going to turn this around. And now I'm going to interview you. What, what would you say the six constraints are? Now, I'll help you out. I'm not going to put you completely on the spot, but we usually get started with what, what's the first thing we get started with on any project? Budget. No, I, I say no, no, that's not it. I think scope has got to be there. Very good. Okay, Kent. Kent's got a gold star. Okay, one for okay. Uh, one for the good guys. Okay, <laughs> okay, one down, five to go. Okay, what's next? Schedule. Yes, very good. It's two and, for the good uh, guys. Uh, one's already been mentioned. Budget. Yep. So uh, most people think of a three-legged stool, right? Scope, budget, schedule. I can give you two, but I can't give you three. Man, I don't like that. Anyway, we're halfway there. We got three more to go, you guys. What's what's uh, what's number four? This is where it gets complicated. Yes, yes. I, I mean, I, I think about like resources. I'm not sure if that's very part. good. Okay. Very, oh, you're spot on, Kent. Look at me this go. This is not your first podcast. You're at 127, so you've been through this. Okay, four down, two to go. Begins I'm, begins with Q. Quality. Very good. Go! Connor. Connor. In the game over there. <laughs> in the game. We, the bean we, counter we got, comes we got, in. We got, a, we got a ringer in the house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was a sleeper, but now he's a ringer. Okay. Uh, quality has uh, four components to it. You got to have a plan, quality, assurance, quality control. Then you have uh, audits. Okay. Okay. Okay, man. We're on the home stretch. Now I'm going to help you out on the last one. It's a four-letter word. It ends in K. It's not that word, okay? I'm going to give you another hint. As one vowel, it's still not that word, okay? I gave you two out of the four letters. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, where's hmm. Where's Sean at? Where, where's risk. Sean at? Very good. Look at risk. This. Good risk. one. Yes. Oh, risk management. Three. Oh man, we are just. <laughs> Look at this guy. Good you one. Kent the shame there, Connor. Good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, risk <laughs> risk was a 
risk is a four-letter word that uh, the PM and his project team has been known to say uh, many, many times. Yeah. So good job, you guys. All those constraints. I mean, things are getting pulled in different directions throughout the lifespan of the project. How do you manage that? It sounds like an almost like an impossible, impossible task, but there is a way to do it. Well, there there is uh, for to begin with. Uh, you need to have a uh, good uh, project management software system in place uh, slash accounting system because uh, at the end of the day, uh, small projects get in trouble quickly. Larger projects take a little bit more time to get, get into trouble. Now, risk is something that's typically not discussed internally or externally. Uh, so where's their risk at? Well, you guys, there's risk in those five other constraints right the scope may not have been well defined mm. the schedule might have been unrealistic the budget was not adequate and the resources you've never worked this project team before yeah. you haven't had these subs you haven't worked with these subs before you they you don't know them they don't know you and th then you got quality meaning you got deliverables to be uh providing to the client Hmm. So I'm curious, has there ever been a project where right out of the gate, when you're determining whether or not it's something you want to pursue, you look at the risk and you say, nope, not for us? Well, once again, there's risk in getting the project and there's risk in not getting the project. Hmm. So it's it's a double-edged sword here, so to speak. So uh, typically what, what I've seen is that yeah, your marketing business development people are selling the project. They're selling your capabilities. So I would recommend that the marketing department get the project manager who's going to be on that project to be involved in the business development and the marketing. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I'm getting off topic here just a little bit, but do you like the seller doer model or do you prefer something different? Well, what what winds up happening is that everybody is a, is a seller on the project, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody is is the face of that project. So from the from the lowest individual all the way up to the project manager, that uh, um, I I can see that it you wind up wearing two hats, so to speak. Meaning you're you're doing both depending on uh, on where you're at in in the project, because. There is actually a seventh constraint that I'm going to make that up of, uh, of two other constraints out of the six that I have mentioned. What two constraints would you use and what would you call the seventh constraint? This is, this is not a trick question. It, this is not in the literature, by the way. You're, you're not going to find this. You're, you're not going to Google it, you guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, Connor's out. I wasn't Googling the other answers yet. I'm over here monitoring our podcast, not Google it. So it's a, you say it's a combination of the, the other yes. six? Of, of, of the two of the, of the six, six other uh, constraints. Is it a constraint that surfaces in the beginning of the project or at another stage? No, it's, this is a, a new constraint. It's a seventh constraint, but it's made up of two oh, of I the gotcha. other. Yeah, so which, which two constraints would you pick? I'd like to buy a Val. <laughs> Can you call a friend? Um, I would say, I mean, gosh. I'm thinking resources resources and risk. 
I'm thinking schedule and budget. I uh, risk I, and budget. I like uh, I like uh, risk and budget. That's uh, risk and budget. Oh, but but what, what, what <laughs> would you just... what would you call this? Okay, okay, you guys. Now, what are you gonna call it? What are you gonna call this? The seventh uh, constraint that I've made up. It's not in the literature. Uh, the Connor factor. <laughs> Profitability. Well, that's close. It's it's a reward. Okay, and what would be the definition of a reward, you guys, in your mind? The juice being worth the squeeze. Oh lordy, that yeah. went right over my head. Okay, <laughs> what, 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 what would you say? And what, what would be what, a reward? What would you call it? What? No, I'm sorry. The question one more time. Out of those two other constraints, yeah, that, that just been picked. What uh, would you call the seventh constraint the, that I've made up? Oh, between budget and risk. Yes. Those are the two we talked what about? You, what, yeah, that's right. What would I call You add that? those two together, and they're going to equal? God, I don't know. Revenue? Yeah. Um, okay. It, I'm going to pick the word, you guys. It's called reward. Now, oh, gotcha. Okay. What, 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 what's the definition of a reward? Oh. Yes. Come on, Connor. The clock is ticking. Def, de, def, definition of a reward is something that you reward. receive a, a benefit of of the benefit of, of your effort. Of, right? of our, yeah, I think it shows well, a, it shows appreciation. Yep, yep. Okay, I say you guys, it's an opportunity, and, and it's an opportunity for repeat business. Now, what's easier, repeat business or getting new business, Ken? Repeat business. Yes, sir. That's right. But it's only an opportunity. There's no guarantee, is there, Ken, that nope. you're going to have that same client again. Because guess what? You know, somebody in the upper management, uh, the client, the owner says, you know what? It's somebody else's turn. It's uh, can't we can't have you anymore. Don't take it personally. Right. Does that happen happen often? Would you say? Um, like where somebody's gonna, like, oh, it's somebody else's turn on a project. I'm, like, does that I'm happen? Gonna, I'm just curious. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, decline to answer that. One. Plead, plead the fifth. All right. Uh, yeah, I would gonna, say, but I won't take a fifth. I'll not, plead the fifth, but I won't take a fifth. <laughs> I would say not often, but uh, eventually the business development person wears down your client enough to give them an opportunity. Ah, I see. I see. And if your services aren't so spectacular, that client will allow that opportunity to someone else. Interesting. Correct. Yeah, for sure. And then what happens like? You know, you have a project manager who's assigned to this this project, especially like a mega project. I mean, those can go on for years and years. And then, unfortunately, there's a there's a there's a change in command, and the project manager is no longer part of it. And you have to, you know, inject another project manager, and that's you're setting yourself up for failure when that happens. I agree. What about those mega projects that are so big and so long? They even like span the lifetime of a project manager Good, yeah i mean there are some of those thinking of the you remember uh die hard three when they go into the mm. aqueducts and the guy's explaining like hey this project started in 1932 and like oh, how yeah. do you how do you manage a project that long and that that extensive yeah you be, you better have a uh, strong uh, support team so to speak uh meaning uh the project manager is the person, is the point of contact that's that's running that. And if you find yourself, uh, I'll call it uh, project management by committee. Well, guess what? Uh, you're no longer the project manager. The committee is is now taken over. 
Let me ask you this. I'm thinking like, and I've said this for a long time, a lot of times $20,000 projects are more difficult to manage than $20 million projects. I, I, I agree. I agree. That's what I said earlier. Uh, small projects get in trouble quickly. Yep. Larger projects just take longer time. Yep. 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 What, what words of advice do you have for project managers that have to manage smaller projects? Well, <laughs> oh, Lordy. And they still have the same, uh, once again, they still have the six same constraints. Yes. Just at a smaller yes, scale. So you have right. to manage that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been on projects, you guys, that have been so small that the, the entire budget is gone during preliminary engineering. Yep. And then, and, and, and there you are, you're stuck. But then again, you may not have had any input onto the scope, budget, schedule, resources, uh, the quality, or, or discussion about risk. So, that poor PM is is in the hole, so to speak, already from the get go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I would say you need to have a good accounting system, meaning small projects. I would probably be uh, reporting to upper management on a weekly basis mm-hmm. to let them know just exactly what's going on. So you mentioned a good accounting system. How about a good accountability system? Ooh. The project manager is uh, is accountable for the project. It's his project. How about as he delegates tasks to his team? Well, there there's a weakness in uh, PMs, and that is this goes back to it's a Russian proverb. Uh, somebody can Google that. Uh, although uh, Ronald Reagan has been quoted as saying it, uh, I can trust, but I need to verify. Hmm. So that's yeah, great. You can delegate all day long. But at the end of the day, uh, who's who's responsible for that, Kent? Uh, the project manager. Yes, sir. That's Ultimately, the answer. You, yeah. you get another gold star, Kent. You're yeah. collecting gold stars here. Even even if you even if you delegate it, you're still ultimately responsible for it. Yes, sir. You, yeah. you cannot delegate the responsibility. You can delegate a task, but at the end of the day, how about the? Uh, communication challenges that exist. I mean, now we have so many different ways of communicating, whether it be email or text or whatever. Talk well, about, talk about the importance of that. Well, what, what you're now talking about, you're, you're now starting to get down into the weeds here on project management. Uh, what you're talking about is a, is a communication plan. Mm-hmm. You need to have a plan for communication. And uh, how many projects have you been on Kent that you actually had a documented communication plan? Hmm. Um, in the last yeah. eight months, exactly <laughs> zero. Yeah, and I can count on one hand how many I've had through uh, my decades-long career uh, seeing a communication plan. Yeah. What about for an organization? Like, yeah. would, a, would a company have a communication plan? I think absolutely. Should? Uniform? Well, they're, they're going to have some, um, what's it called, a disaster recovery plan or something. they got to have some form of communication there when, when something happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it just comes down to it. And I, Steve's hit on it a lot is it, it's a service industry, but, and correct me if I'm wrong if on this, Steve, but it's a service industry, but really we're in the business of people. Correct. Correct. And right. Like, right. In fact, we're, we're in the cash flow business, right? Right. Mm. Kent? <laughs> we, yeah. Our assets, our assets are, are minimal here. Yep. That's well said. Cash flow business for Thanks. sure. Yep. Yep. No question. Um, 
Well, you keep you you keep going back to this thing, and I'm a, I'm a bean counter, like I said. You talk about a good accounting system. Can you define like what you've seen as a good accounting system, or what's some pros to having that for like? Well, I, I don't know what you I don't know what you guys are used to, but uh, I uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to Dell Tech. Uh, they, they're uh, they're pretty good. Uh, what's What's nice about that is that uh, you're going after a particular project. You can put all that information in there. Uh, you can do some resource loading. You can uh, assign uh, what you're helping out here, Ken. It's been a while since I've used it, but you can assign your chances of getting that project low, medium, or high, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, and then you can start doing some resource projection as the staff that you're going to need and figure out who's going to be doing what. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Dell Tech. I have had experience with that in the past, and that is by far the most robust accounting project management tool that I've ever used. And, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time is, you know, utilization and billability and, and, and all those different things. And that is, Dell Tech's an incredible tool for tracking all that stuff. It's, uh, I, I agree, Ken. It's, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. It's expensive, but it's incredibly yes, powerful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, let's fast forward just a little bit to the importance of project closure, because this is something I think that gets overlooked far too often. Would you agree with that, Steve? I, I agree with that. Um, when you say project closure, project closeout, but uh, I like to, sum it up more like along these lines, uh, that is, uh, lessons learned. Yep. And uh, when I've been PM, I, I have a thing I do. It's called on the spot lessons learned, meaning it just happened. Uh, there's a, there's a design bust or something, uh, a level wasn't turned on, whatever. You just call the team together. You're not pointing fingers. It's more of an education as to what went wrong. How do we solve it? How do we move ahead? Yeah, well said. I like the uh, tracking the lessons learned and, and bringing those to the forefront right when they happen. Yeah, and also I, I might make mention of, of capturing the historical data that you had in this project, meaning what went well, what went wrong, did you mm-hmm. make money, did you lose money? Because uh, not all projects uh, can't make money, correct? Correct. <laughs> We're in agreement here, Ken. Good. We are definitely in agreement with that for sure. But it's so important at the end, and you know, you've talked about the uh, you know repeat business. If you have a really shitty project closure system or whatever, you could lose the opportunity at that point of the project for any future work if you do not handle that correctly. Yes, and uh, w- once again, this is where upper management, you, you need to work with upper management because they communicate to the owner, to the client on a different level than the project manager does. So uh, get them involved early and often to help out. Define to me what project closure is. Like, like what is it? Is it just getting like a project done and closing out a project? Like, like define that to me. What do you mean by that, Ken? I just think there's a ton of communication with your client at that point in time to make sure that everybody's on the same page and that, hey, we've done a good job or maybe we haven't done a good job. This is where we could make improvements. And you just want to make sure, if at all possible, that when the time comes that that project is officially done and you move on to the next one, that everybody's on the same page. Whether that be really positive or negative or whatever, um, there's got to be a lot of communication at that point in time. Oh, I see. Like using it as a t- another touch point. Like, yes, I might be Absolutely. delivering a report to Absolutely. you, but like, let's use that as a touch point to, you know, we talked about it earlier, like reoccurring yep. business from that client. Yep. Okay. I see. In, in the past, honestly, another thing I've done, and we probably should do that. Um, 
like when we think we've got the project closed, I mean, I would even send out like a, a, a client um, survey, survey, basically. Like, you know, essentially, what did we do good? What could we improve on type thing? And that feedback that you get at that point in time is com- totally invaluable. I use it as a business development tool. For sure. That's a great reason to contact my client, yep. summarize what we've done, rem- shamelessly plug our own services on how great we were, and remind them of how they couldn't have done it without us, Yep. Mm-hmm. and ask how we can do better in the future, implying that we will do future projects together. And the, the best question at that point in time, what's next? Yep. There you and go. You'll, you'll yeah, find out right away if you were not a value to that yep. project when he says... Uh, next is your competitor, and yeah. you can have a shot at the next one after that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let, let me ask you this, you guys. Uh, Illinois uh, DOT and the Illinois Tollway, they have uh, consultant performance evaluations. Mm-hmm. Uh, does does uh, clients you work with, uh, Arizona DOT, for instance, do they have uh, such a process procedure? Because there's a lot of good information there that can be collected. Uh, they do. Uh, usually they use it as a tool during the uh request for proposal process. So, you know, part of your work experience and staff and, and equipment and all that stuff and referrals and references from other similar clients. Mm. Now it's usually a kind of a rubber stamp of, you know, you wouldn't ask a client that is, could potentially give you a bad review to provide one for an upcoming proposal, but it is a mechanism to get feedback if you really want. Good, That's good. Yeah. So the, uh, the PMP certification, let's touch on that real quick. Yes. Um, first of all, I'm ass- you being a PMP, I'm assuming that you find great value in that. Uh, talk about your experience achieving that and what it has done for your career. Well, uh, people don't seem to understand that it's more difficult to maintain a, a PMP certification than it does to, to maintain your PE registration. Uh, in Illinois, for instance, all I need to have is, uh, 30 uh, um, PDHs every two years. But in order to maintain my uh, PMP certification, I need to have 60 wow. over uh, over three years, okay? And they have to be uh, a PMP-approved uh, vendor or, uh, or, or, or supplier, whatever, of these uh, programs. So it, it's more difficult to... What, what it's helped me, you guys, is uh, understanding what the six constraints are. And uh, usually uh, when I'm a PM, I, I push down onto the guy to the lowest level. Uh, what, what is the scope of work? What exactly are we working with? Uh, also, the schedule gets pushed down to them. Now, the budget, they don't see dollars, but they see hours. Yep. And their tasks are, uh, are tracked against hours. And, of course, uh, resources. Uh, you work with your uh, project team and your subs, and then you got quality. Uh, you got a plan. Uh, uh, the Illinois Tollway and both uh, the IDOT requires that you have a uh, CQP. That's a consultant quality plan. And in there, you'll you'll have exactly what you're going to be doing on the quality. Typically, quality is, is reviewed by someone who's not working on the project. Because what we find is that individuals say, well, I'm, I'm checking my work. Oh, that's good. You're checking your work. But guess what? Uh, another set of eyes. Now, then we come to audits. The audits are done internally and externally. Uh, the client will send people into our offices and check our documentation. 
And guess what happens, Kent, at times? Our documentation needs to be revised. Yep. Now we have a revision to our CQP, and we go through the process again. Mm-hmm. PMP stands for Project Management Professional? Yep. Yes, sir. I'm curious, when would you recommend a person enroll in that program, like really early on in their career, when they're about to be a project manager? What, what do you think is really good timing for that? Well, I, I would say, once again, it goes back to what we touched on earlier, Ken, and that, that is, what, what is the career path mm. for that individual within the company? Uh, where do they see themselves? Meaning uh, they're going to be stuck. I won't say stuck, but they they decided I want to be on the technical side. I just want to be a uh, geometrics engineer and roadway. I want to be a drainage engineer. But I can tell you, at, at some point in your career, you will you will become a project manager, meaning all of a sudden your immediate supervisor has moved on, and guess guess who's up next, Kent? Yep. Yeah. Well, it could be you, Kent. So you want you want to be prepared. Yep. Likewise, I, I tell the younger engineers, it may be decades before you actually use your PE stamp to sign and seal drawings. But at some point, you're going to be called up off the bench and you're going to be put into play. Well, this question comes up a lot with my staff and in our business in general. And it's I ask this question a lot is, do you want to go on the technical side or do you want to go on the management side? Mm. And I present it probably wrongfully so on it's it's one of it's a it's a it's a why in the road and you go one of two ways. Uh, what do you think about that concept? And do you think there's yeah, a way you can do Sean, both Sean, at the same I'm, time? I'm, I'm, I'm going to call you on the carpet for that one because uh, right away you're asking <laughs> the individual to make a decision, and uh, your human resource department should already have a path for that individual. I, I, I when individuals tell me that, I uh, I just uh, shudder. Actually. Now we're starting to get into the C word. Anybody want to guess what the C word stands for in our business? It's not taught in school. Mm. It's not a four letter word, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about our HR department. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, what is it? Culture. Oh, oh what, yes. what is the culture of the company, you guys? Yes, uh, yes, we talk about yeah. it all the time. That's 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 a tough one, you guys. Culture, right? Yeah. What is culture, Steve? I'm, just... glad, I'm glad you asked me that. I, I got my cheat sheet here somewhere. I, I was prepared because I knew somebody was going to ask me that. I I got a I got a good answer on what what culture is here. Oh dear, good engineers. It's too well organized here. No comment. Well, <laughs> I, I will i will find it take your time culture is, is, culture is basically a, a set of beliefs that uh that a, that a company oh here it is i got it right here okay not taught in school culture plays an extensive role in nearly every aspect of an organization dictionary describes culture as the shared set of attitudes values goals and practices that characterizes an institution organizations now, I'm, I might take that step further here, you guys, that an organization's uh, culture is composed of informal and formal, excuse me, informal and unwritten rules, or excuse me, values, norms and behavior patterns that are commonly accepted and observed by members of an organization. Now, organizations can have a strong or a weak culture. And I try to impress upon the, 
uh, my mentees that you need to look at a company's website because a company's website is going to say just exactly what they are doing internally and externally, meaning what fun activities do they have within their company or externally, what are they doing for the community? And uh, that's how I look at culture, you guys. Hmm. Could you give meaning us an example strong. of a weak company culture than your experience or maybe a strong company culture? Well, yeah, I am. Um, Without getting too, you know, yeah, you don't exactly. want to call out anybody by name, but. <laughs> well, uh, hypothetically. Hypothetically, I, I'll, I'll give you examples of organizations that have strong uh, cultures, okay? Apple, Google, Facebook, and IBM. The culture of those organizations is strongly enforced through numerous informal rules. Now, a weak culture organization have hard to identify loose cultures that are not strongly enforced. Strong cultures are a means to achieve integration because people buy into a common set of shared values and operate from a common frame of reference. I hope that helps understand now. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot, Kent, what kind of, what kind of company you have there, but um, that's, that's how I look at it. Well, the thing that jumps out at me that I think more companies need to focus on, I've been fortunate to work for companies in the past that do this, and that is the word community. I think it's important that companies, you know, having, you know, keeping community in mind, you know, have, do activities with their employees, you know, whether it be working at a, you know, a food bank or just some philanthropic events. I think it, you know, builds, um, you know, camaraderie within the company, of course, yep, yep. as well as helps define what the culture is. Yeah. And one of the, one of those examples, Habitat for Humanity, for instance, uh, yep. Kent, that, that's a great way of, uh, of getting individuals, uh, even with uh, no building skills at all, they, they, could, they can help out. Yep. There's, there's so many opportunities out there. Yes, yes, there is. I agree with you on that because the, yeah. the great – the best culture that I've seen or like worked for was Quicken Loans. And what they'll do is they have the every new hire, even the interns, when I was an intern here in Phoenix, they flew us all out to Detroit and went through Isms Day. And so they have a their culture is defined by these isms and these like sayings and stuff and like from top down. And I met from the president of Quicken Loans and a lot of other high leaders. Um, when I interned again and they all believe in this culture and I, th I thought it was very interesting. Um, so I think that's a strength uh, when you talk about enforcing the rules or the, the unwritten rules. Mm, yep. Totally agree with that. I uh, subscribe to uh, uh, fortune magazine and right now I'll, I'll just, I'll just share this with you is that right there, they list the top, the best 100 companies to work for. And, and right now, would you believe they have almost 240 openings, jobs opening across these 100, 100 companies? It's it's hard to comprehend. There's a need out there for talent. And this is a question for the group, I guess. Would you say culture, company culture, is more important now when it comes to attracting and retaining top talent than it ever has been? Well, that was a leading question because I'm assuming – the answer is yes. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the answer is yes, but I don't know if that's... I, well, when, you, when you say now versus before... Well, just I, now in the world we're living in right now. I, I, what, what I can say is I have been... I interview a lot of people, hire a lot of people, 
And one uh, one common thing that is asked that has wasn't asked ten years ago, and I definitely never asked was how we define our company culture, or how do you define as the manager the company culture? And it took me being asked that about seventeen times before I started to have some semblance of a decent answer. The first time it was a bunch of word vomit that eventually kind of answered the question, but I didn't have a good answer. And what I realized is the expectation is, one, we have one, and two, we can define it. Absolutely. No question. And I think those questions probably come more from a different generation. Like every generation focuses on something else as being important to them when it comes to making a decision on who they want to work for. Yeah. And if you subscribe to the fact that our generations evolve, yep. Assume, you know, assuming that's for the better, that's a, a positive, you know, step forward instead of you. And then kind of goes into where our work-life balance is. So you show up to work and you get plugged into the machine and you're told when to leave and then you go home and you should be grateful to be able to come back and do it the next day. Yep, yep. And that is the perfect segue, Mr. Faber. Amazing. So, Steve, let's talk, let's let's dive into your wisdom just a little bit as it sure, pertains to sure. work-life balance. I know it's something you're passionate about. You've been doing this for a long time. You understand the importance of it. Yeah. And uh, I, I shared with you earlier, Kent, uh, how, how we now measure. Uh, it says success there, but uh, really what we're talking about is uh, work-life balance. And I might make mention there that, that that slide there, whatever shows uh, used to be the salary, the job title. Well, guess what? Now you guys are in this uh, uh, hybrid um, learning, working kind of a situation. So uh, there's a lot more to to the job and the title and and the salary. Meaning, uh, you need to have free time. Uh, you like what you do. Uh, you got mental health and you got physical health. So uh, I would say this is what I share with my mentees that. Uh, it, this technology now we can be a slave to this technology, meaning you're expected to be uh, available 24/7, 365. And you, once again, just goes back to what we talked about the culture of the company, uh, meaning in our business uh, there's nothing life or death. Okay, uh, we're not a surgeon. The patient is not on the table. This can all wait till the next day. And if someone gets you into that mindset, that uh, Everything needs to be done now. Everything's a crisis. Well, guess what? Uh, you're in the wrong culture in the wrong company. Yep. Yeah, I had just told this story the yesterday, actually, and, and I don't remember where I saw it, but uh, I was reading the an article or something that defined the most and least stressful careers. And civil engineering was down at the 15, 10 to 15 bottom of the list, you know, bottom, <laughs> bottom 15%. Huh. Yeah. So, stressful? Well, my... The, we finished. My, my comment with them was if we are stressed out all the time in, in my business specifically and civil engineering is in the bottom 15%, that tells me that I'm doing it wrong. Mm. Not, it's not inherent to the career. It's inherent to how I'm approaching it. Because on average, it's, the uh, country says yeah. it's not a stressful career and I'm making it that way. Yeah, Sean, Sean, what you're talking about, it's self-induced stress. That's Meaning correct. It, it's, it's, it's brought on by you, but then again, you we all have bosses, supervisors, so guess what? That, that may be passed down. Right, and that means if I change jobs, that stress comes with me. It's not inherent to the career correct. or a company correct. or anything yep. else. Good point. Yep. yep, yep. Good point. And I, I would go so far to say that that uh, work-life balance is part of the culture, which you just mentioned, and it kind of starts at the top down. 
You know, like if the, and then the reason I say that is I worked for a company before where one of the partners was, you know, the first guy there every single day, last guy to leave every single day. And if you didn't show up at a certain time and you didn't stay to a certain time, they like shamed you, you know, and talk about horrible quality life during those number of years that I worked there. I was like, this is, does not make sense. doesn't make sense. And just wearing people down and uh, horrible, horrible situation. So the question I would have in your experience, Steve, is how do you measure that? How do you take stock in, at what point do you analyze, you know, you got a pie graph here and there should be a, a piece for physical health and mental health and free time and everything else. Yep. At what point do you, you know, do you have a personal timesheet and manage your own life as mm. in this is how much time is I give to my family and this Dude, is how much time of my golf game and here's my time at work and I love what you just said, the personal time <laughs> the personal timesheet. You need to freaking run with that. Well, I mean it, to to expand then on what you're saying before, it's okay, if you have a what's the your uh, utilization target at, mm -hmm. at work, well then we should all have a utilization personal. a personal utilization target. Yeah. I and at some that. point you have to measure it and you have to get through uh, six months or a year and say, okay, last year yep, I was able to do this, 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 and this, or I wasn't. So something's got to change now. Cause like, mm -hmm. like Steve said, you know, you get into it before you realize it, all you're doing is work and nothing yep. else. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And we talk about work-life balance. Like it's this thing that, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I, I, uh, you know, have a hobby. So I have work-life balance. Well, do you really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, well said. I, I would I, I would say you guys that should be part of the interview process. You need to be somewhat transparent on, on these new hires, letting them know, look, uh, we, we should uh, work to live and not live to work. And uh, I think that's what we're talking about here. A change in uh, a paradigm shift, a uh, change in the culture. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, let's see where are we at here. I did mention hobbies. You did? I did. Yeah. Yep, that was good. That was Steve, good. you said Steve. you're a recovering serial yes. remodeler homeowner. <laughs> I myself yes. am in a, I own a, a very old home, and I have currently somewhere between 3 and 30 active uh, <laughs> home improvement projects. And uh, a quarter-inch chimney. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do have a quarter in my chimney. It's a long story. Um <laughs> Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about your, your hobbies and what you like to do at, on the life side of that balance. Yes, yes. Well, um, through, through the years, my wife and I have actually uh, built two houses. Uh, actually, I, I acted as the GC, the general contractor. I went out and uh, bought the property. I surveyed it. I laid out the corners, hired an excavator. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I've, 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 got, I've done that, you guys. So, uh, uh, now the first house I did only took me two years, uh, but the the last house I did took me seventeen years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right now we're in a townhouse, which uh, took me five years to get through the the renovation. So uh, I got I got some uh, breathing room here now. How have you used your experience as a project management professional and a professional mm. engineer in your uh, own own home sure. renovation projects? Uh, one thing about being a civil engineer, you guys, is that uh, typically uh, Illinois DOT and, and the Illinois Tollway will perfect will uh, pick a professional engineer, uh, civil engineer, to be the PM. Now, why is that? Because project managers cut across all disciplines. 
whether we're talking to a surveyor, a structural engineer, drainage engineer, signal engineer, environmental engineer, uh, the, the, the civil engineer is the person. So translating that in, into home building skills is uh, somewhat natural, meaning I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of different trades in order to, to get the place built. I can see how that relates very well. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. It's thanks. One, thanks, Ken. It's one Good of the question. few uh, engineering disciplines that has a very broad stroke, so to speak. And, you know, Steve being a, a, a trial EE major and I mean, ME, like you're a little more narrow when you get into those yeah. other engineering disciplines, but civil basically covers just about everything else. And I'm going to completely ignore the fact that he said that he surveyed his own property. <laughs> well, because it's that easy, right? No. It's just another engineer wanting to be a surveyor. I see it every day. You, 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 you know what you know what a surveyor is. Oh, you know, it's just an engineer with his brains beaten now. Okay. <laughs> that's what a surveyor is. That's my goal. This guy. Uh, yeah, we should probably stop there. Watch um, out for some nasty <laughs> grams from our, our audience now. Oh, yes, yes, we are a, a survey professional heavy audience, so we'll, we'll expect a yes, pushback. Yes, I have, have to be careful. But we're growing our uh, our engineering audience, which is which is awesome. This is amazing. So, um, what what keeps you motivated, Steve? Well, you know, I'm a wannabe runner. I shared that with you guys at yep. the beginning. So uh, I have a, a, a road ID bracelet. It's got all the uh, all the vitals on it in case oh. I have some kind of a medical emergency or whatever. But uh, I have on there forward progress. And I would like to think that we're in the business of uh, moving progress forward in, in our businesses, you guys. Mm. Yep, I love that. Very optimistic. Um, and this is a question we ask every single one of our guests. Do you have a mantra that you live by? Well, I came across this. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, to paraphrase a Tom Jefferson uh, quote, but though a decades experienced professional engineer, I am but an engineer in training. Love it. Always will be. Always will be. But it, might I add, I believe Thomas Jefferson was a surveyor. Um, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I think I think George Washington was, but I'm not sure about. I'll have to Google that one. All right. That's your next assignment. Fair enough. Fair Abe enough. Lincoln was a surveyor, by the uh, way. Absolutely, he sure was. Well, wasn't everybody a surveyor back then? Uh, no, not everybody. No, no. no. <laughs> All right, see, we covered a lot, man. That was a great conversation. Yes, is there uh, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to get out there? Well. I'd like to hear where the name of your company comes from. It, it, it rhymes with alcoholics, but uh, that's not the, that's not what this is about. It's yeah, no, so yeah, yeah. No. That I mean, that was that was kind of the spin on it, of course. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, again, being a okay. surveyor, you know, alcohol plays a big part in our life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of, and of course, geo from geomatics, geospatial, whatever. Got it, so got it. not to get it confused with. And then, you know, our, uh, our ultimate goal was to start a, a Geoholics Anonymous program, of course, <laughs> and all that stuff. So, yeah, that, that was kind of the, the path we laid out right from the get-go. That's, that's great, you guys. All right. Well, Any, Ken, anything Ken, else, my friend? Yeah, if you ever get by this way to Chicago, be sure to let me know. Of course. I will definitely be back there sometime yeah. in the near future, yeah. no doubt about yeah. it. Cool. Um, 
Anything else? Connor, you got no, anything about buddy? I, I do I do have a question for Steve. All I don't, right. I, I might adopt Wait this minute, new no, question. Connor is, is it, Connor, is it an easy one or a hard one? Because, you know, I charge more for the hard one. Okay. <laughs> oh, probably probably a real tough one. Okay. What makes you get out of bed in the morning? Kind of curious. Well, it's a force of habit. You know, uh, working, <laughs> working on... Uh, Working on construction site, uh, training for a Chicago marathon. I'm up at four, four thirty. Uh, that's right. Okay. In fact, you guys are start. You guys are starting to cut into my bedtime here. Bed checks at ten o'clock. <laughs> you and me both, my friend. <laughs> How about uh, you, Sean? You got anything else, buddy? Uh, the last thing, just when you mentioned it, I looked up the uh, the definition of the holic suffix, oh. and it is a person who is it has an addiction to or an obsession with some object or activity. Boom. Oh, there we, there it is. Boom. There you go. Enough said. Got it. Got it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks again. Okay. Great yeah. conversation, Steve. Really yeah. appreciate your time. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to doing it again sometime. Sure. Safe travel, you guys. Yep. All right. You as well. Adding value, making friends. That's what this is all about. Thanks again for listening and to our loyal friends of the program, just like Trimble Geospatial for believing in us. Be sure to mention your geoholic when you reach out to any of our friends of the program. For the exclusive VIP treatment, download the Geoholics app from LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Send us an email at info at thegeoholics.com if you have any content or ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show. We're actually booking into August right now, if you can believe that. Last but not least, pay it forward. Add value, make friends. The Black Mood, Saturday night, available everywhere. Until next time, go out and do something new. And most importantly, be safe and healthy, everybody. Thank you to our 2022 Friends of the Program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, AGSGPS.com, Airworks, airworks.io, Bad Elf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, extremearialproductions.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz. Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com. Nettleman LC Prep, lcprep.com. North Star Surveying, northstarsurveying.com. ProStar Corporation, prostarcorp.com. Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us. Topodot, new.certainty3d.com. And finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.